Well, all Lord's Days are special. All Lord's Days are separate. And all Lord's Days are holy. But some Lord's Days are sweeter than others. Some Lord's Days, there are special things that happen. are different things that happen. That Christ has commanded happen, would happen in his church. And today is one of those days. Today is a specially sweet Lord's Day because today we are baptizing two sinners who have been saved by the grace of God. We are baptizing two sinners that have been washed clean by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We are baptizing two sinners who are now adopted into the family of God. We are baptizing two sinners that have now been freed from sin, that they might serve the true and living God all the days of their life. And that is a very technical way to look at it. It's a right way to look at it, but it's a very technical way to look at it. For me, it's a very personal thing. For you, church, it's a very personal thing. Very intimate thing. I've known the DeVitos for a very long time. When I was beginning my studies, Pastor John was finishing his at Southern Seminary. They very graciously invited me and my family for hospitality into their home for Thanksgiving, I believe it was. And we became quick friends. For me, it's not two sinners. It is. But for me, it is two friends, two little girls who I've known and who you've known for a very long time. And in their lives, we can think about how many prayers that we have offered church for their salvation. We should think about how many gospel conversations we've had with these two precious ones. We should think about how many Sunday school lessons we've taught to them. We should think about all of the ways in which God has, from the very beginning, worked in, in providence after providence to bring about this event. Our hearts, they begin to swell up with praise to God for affection for God and for his image bearers, for these two sisters in the faith. Our hearts begin to swell up as we think about what is about to happen and we are almost overcome with emotion. I believe even Pastor John, I asked him as a, as a father, how are you feeling? How are you feeling as a father? How are you doing right now? And John being our stoic John, I said, I'm doing fine, brother. I said, doing fine? If it was me, I would be jumping up for, I would be ecstatic. You may even be able to get a smile out of me. No, I know our pastor as a father is swelled up with so much praise and affection for God right now, knowing what he has done in the life of his two daughters. But as it becomes us today, as we, we, we think about what is about to take place just a few feet behind me, there have been very different views throughout church history on what that does. What does that baptistry do? What does baptism do? Some have said that it's a grace-infusing ritual. 
that what happens in the waters of baptism is because the waters contain grace, as if grace was some kind of substance we could hold, as if it was some kind of putty or some kind of thing in which we could hold. That grace is present in that water, and it actually infuses into the person. This is the view of Roman Catholicism. This is why they baptize their babies. This is why they baptize their babies. They baptize their babies because they believe that by baptizing their infants, they are infusing grace into them, that their sins are somehow being washed away. The record is now balanced, and it is up now for that child to work righteousness, to add into their account. Grace is infused solely on the basis of going into the waters. Well, obviously, church, this is not what the Word of God teaches. Well, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Some have suggested that baptism, what happens in baptism, is a mere sentimental memorial. It's just a nice thing that we do. Just a nice thing that we do to kind of commemorate what God has done. This, of course, is the Arminian view, and broadly speaking, the modern evangelical view. This is what most Christians believe today. The water contains no grace, and the Holy Spirit is not at work in baptism. Baptism is only a badge which we wear. Baptism is strictly about the decision that was made on the part of the one being baptized. Now this, to their credit, is partly right, but that's not all the story. No, I believe that the scriptures teach very clearly that, great, that baptism is a grace communicating sacrament. Now that word sacrament has a tendency to get us Baptists all riled up because we've seen throughout the year, years how that word has been misused. But when I say sacrament, all that I'm really referring to is a sign and a seal. Baptism is a sign. It points to the truth. It points to the reality. It's a seal. It confirms, it assures the one who is taking part in that sacrament. That we say baptism is a grace communicating sacrament. This is the reformed view. And I believe this is the biblical view. Baptism is an ordinary thing. And it has the waters. There's nothing special about that water. In fact, I wouldn't want to drink that water. I wouldn't. There's better water to drink. It's ordinary water. There's nothing special about that water. Grace is not in that water. Although it is an ordinary thing, it's an ordinary thing which God uses to give soul-strengthening grace to those who go into it in faith. See, when you combine what we're doing, when you combine this ceremony with grace or, or with faith, your, your soul is being nourished. It's being, it's being uh, strengthened. Most often when we refer to this, what we, were sent, what we refer to it as is a means of grace. It's an instrument which God uses to communicate grace to us to teach us about grace, to teach us the Christian life in some way. 
A means of grace is a God-appointed thing which God intends to grow us, to use to grow us spiritually. They do not contain, as I said, they do not contain grace in and of themselves, but they do do something. It does something. And that something which it does is it nourishes and grows and communicates God's grace to us. It teaches us through the senses. We are, our senses, all of our senses are being assaulted. We're sensing the gospel. We have the gospel in written form. But we have the gospel as it is illustrated to us. As it is demonstrated to us. And this is what makes baptism a means of grace. This is why we call it a sacrament. It points to and it affirms that which we believe. Baptism is not merely a public announcement, brothers and sisters. It's not merely a public announcement. It is that. But it's not only that. And it's not a magical ritual. It's not something that's going to save you. But in a way in which God does a wonderful work when combined with faith. So I want to look today at three ways in which this means of grace, this baptism as a means of grace, does something. And I want us to remember our baptisms as we go through these things. I don't want it to be uh, a theological lecture. I want to make it personal. I want to be right here. As we think about what as we think about what we're reading in the Word of God today, I want us to remember our baptism. And if you have not been baptized, I want you to understand that everything that we're going to talk about today, the, act, the exact opposite is true. So first, let's look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. And let's look at through baptism, we are encouraged to die to self. Secondly, we'll look at 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 22, that through baptism, we are given a clean conscience. And then finally, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13. Through baptism, we are made members and partakers of the church of Christ. So let's first look at Romans 6. Verses 3 through 7. The Word of God reads Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For we who have died... For he who has died is free from sin. Remember, church, 
Remember joy. Remember jubilee. Remember with faith that you were baptized or that you will be baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. Church, remember. Remember with faith that you have been baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. Know by heart that you have died to sin in Christ. Know by heart. Know it as, your, as one of the first things that you know in the, as you wake up. When you wake up in the morning, before you even know your own name, know this. You have died with Christ and you have risen with him. Ultimately, ultimately, sin is nothing more than separation. It separates. It takes from. It detracts from. It dissects in ways which are unnatural and which were never intended. As sin is any lack of conformity to God, is it not? Is not not what the catechism teaches? Is not that what the Word of God says? It is no surprise that death is the just penalty for sin. It is no surprise that it is so expressedly unnatural. Everyone must give an account. Everyone, everything that sin is owed will be paid. God will not be mocked. No one will escape this transaction. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, Know, know with certainty, remember your baptism, that you were buried with Christ Jesus, and that you have risen with Him. Remember, church, remember that Christ died for sin, that Christ died for the just penalty of your sin. Know, church, know it very well, that He died and raised again. Know that He was the innocent sufferer of God. That He was the servant of the Most High. Know that it, that it pleased the Father to wound Him on that cross. Know for a fact that He was separated from the good things of God on that cross when He cried out in loud anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Know with certainty that He was buried and under the power of death for three days. Know that He died for sin. And if Christ has died for sin, the Apostle says, and you have died with Him, demonstrating this in your baptism, if Christ died for sin, you, Christian, should die to sin. See, the whole argument, the whole reason why Paul gets into this is because there was a group of people who said, you know, grace is a really great thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing. We should have more of it. How can we have more of it? And some corrupt, unsaved individual within the church said, I know, we'll sin more. And God will show more grace in this way. What shall we say then, Paul writes, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. May it never be that way. No. Christ who died for sin commands us now to die to sin. 
we insist as a church that baptism, when the person goes into the waters, that they are not to be sprinkled on the head with water, but they are to be submerged in the water. They are to be immersed in the water. Their whole being is to go underneath the water. It's a little grave. It's a little watery grave where the old person, the old man, the old woman is submerged into the grave and is covered up. And then we don't leave them there. Good news, right? For those being baptized, we're going to pull you up. My pastor at my baptism said that he, pulls, he would pull me up when I said tithe. So he held me under until I said tithe. And when I said tithe, he pulled me up. No, they pull you up. Not because we, want, we, we don't want to commit homicide. We don't want to commit homicide. But that's not the main reason. The main reason why we pull you up is to illustrate that Christ has pulled you up. You died. The old joy, the old jubilee, the old Christian who has who's lived, who has gone, undergone baptism, you have died with Christ. That happened in those waters. But you not only died, you were risen again. Christ's death was a physical death. Ours is a spiritual dying to self. We are to die to self because the old person has died at baptism. We don't sin as the wicked in, in the Roman church said by magnifying grace. We don't sin to magnify grace. But by dying to self, we also do not sin presuming upon grace. No, we die to self from a heart of love and gratitude to our God. That his was a physical death. Ours is a spiritual dying to self. His death won our complete and final justification. When God looks upon you, Christian, when God looks upon you, he does not see your sin and your wrongdoing. No, you have been justified. Christ has died for you. The great exchange has taken place. The unrighteousness which you lived in your whole life is now placed firmly on Christ's shoulders. He died a physical death for it. But he did not leave you with a zero balance. He did not leave you with an account, a bank account, a spiritual bank account, which you had to fill up, which you had to deposit good works into. No, he took upon himself your unrighteousness and all of the righteousness which was accredited to him, he gave to you. You are now made much better than you ever were and you ever could have been. His death won that complete justification. Our death, our dying to self, advances our sanctification. You see, no Christian is as holy as they ought to be. None. There is not one Christian who is as holy as they ought to be. There is no Christian who is as holy as they wish to be. They always wish to be more. The true child of God always desires for more 
likeness to Christ, for more holiness. But praise be it to God, no Christian is as sinful as they once were. You might not realize that in your own life, because you're, as you grow in sanctification, you, be, you come to the realization of how not like Christ you are. But the sins which you've committed in the past, you think upon and would say, I would never commit them again. Does it make you a sinless, perfect being? But it does make you much better by the power of God's grace in your life than you once were. So baptism confirms that we are to die to sin and that we have died to sin. But it also, baptism also confirms that we are to live righteously before God. You see, there's the negative, what we don't do, we don't sin. And then there's the positive, which Paul gives here, what we are to do. And what we are to do is to live righteously before God. Just as Christ rose from his grave in newness of life, when you rise out of the waters of baptism, so long as you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we too are raised from our grave into newness of life. The old man went under. The old man went under. The old woman went under. under. But when they came out, a new being was present. A new person was present. Is this your life? When you remember your baptism, church, is this your reality? Do these things resonate with you? When you think of your baptism, was it just some sentimental ceremony, some badge of honor that you wore on your chest? Or did it signify something much greater? Your death and resurrection with the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who have not been baptized, for those of you who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who, who have repentance towards God and yet have not followed Christ in baptism, why? Do you not believe that you have died with Him? That He has died for you? Do you not believe that He will raise you up on the last day? In the second place, let us remember with faith that we have passed safely through waters of judgment. Let's go to 1 Peter 3. First Peter 3, verses 18 through 22. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept, kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. 
corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Remember with faith, church. Remember with faith, joy and jubilee, that you have passed safely through waters of judgment. Never forget, never forget, that you are safe from the wrath of God. Now, he does something here. The Apostle Peter does something here. He likens our baptism to the flood of Noah. And in which way? He actually says that it's an antitype. That's the Greek for it. He says concerning, corresponding to that, that phrase concern, uh, corresponding to that, that's actually the Greek word that we get for antitype. And an antitype is nothing more than that which the type fulfills. So you have a, a type and you have an antitype. The type is a shadow. The antitype is the substance. I've used this illustration before, but we have enough visitors here today that I feel like I can use it again and it'll be fresh and relevant and hip. Who remembers Polaroid cameras? Okay, thank you everyone over 40 for raising their hand. What is a Polaroid camera? Well, before everyone had a cell phone that had a camera on it, you had to have film for your camera. And when film was very expensive, you wouldn't take a picture of what you're having for dinner, put it in an envelope, mail it to your friend. That would be absurd. You might do that today with a cell phone, but you would never dream of doing that, having to actually spend money on film. You had to wait for the film to be developed. The best you could hope for was a one hour photo. So you take a picture, an hour later, you'd get it. Could you imagine even waiting five minutes for Netflix to buffer? How did we even live back then? But needless to say, Kodak came out with this wonderful device called a Kodak pic uh, camera. You could, have, you could have photographs within minutes, within minutes. Great advancement to our culture. You could take a picture and this little square photograph would come out and it would be all shadowy. You really couldn't make out anything. Now, I don't know if it really worked or not. We all did it. It's kind of like blowing into Nintendo cartridges. Nobody knows if that really works or not. We just do it. But you would take that photo and you would shake it. And as you shake it, it would begin to develop and you would see, ah, oh, there's the bun. Oh, there's the patty. Yes, my, my cheeseburger, which I'm having for dinner, is coming into view now. When the photo developed, you had the antitype. But as you were waiting, as you saw all the cloudy bits around it, as it was starting to come into focus, that was the type. Well, the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, when we think about Noah, that was a type for baptism. Noah's flood, Noah, Noah being carried safely 
and those eight people in the ark corresponds to our baptism. Well, what do we know about Noah's flood? Well, we know this. It wasn't a happy thing. It was a flood because of judgment. The whole earth was sinful, and only Noah found grace. Only one was found to please the Lord. Only one's, one man's, God's favor rested only on one man. And the whole world was submerged in waters of judgment. You see, it's a grave. It's a grave. But it's also judgment. You go under. You pass through those waters of judgment. But you don't stay there because of God's grace. No, like Noah, who found favor in the eyes of the Lord, you pass safely through. And this is what Peter is teaching us. Baptism testifies to the fact that judgment is coming. But those who have been baptized have and will pass safely through it because of their union with Christ. Baptism apart from faith does not and is not able to wash sin away. Apart from faith, the only thing that you can hope for when you go in there is to get wet. By itself, nothing in the water is able to save or to clean the soul from guilt. Nothing going into the water without faith will only get you wet. But those who go into the waters with faith, those like joy and jubilee, those like you, dear brother and sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, but those who go into the waters with faith, they make an appeal to God for a clear conscience. This is what he says, corresponding to that, that is Noah's flood, baptism now saves you, not by the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You go into those waters, you come out of those waters, you have a good, clear conscience with God. Remember that. Combined with faith, baptism is a pledge of a clear conscience because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of baptism, per se, but because what, where baptism finds its power is in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a pledge of a genuine faith. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't remember what our practice is here. But I know in the other Reformed churches that I've been a member of, when someone goes into the waters of baptism, they are asked, they are asked, do you pledge, do you agree to a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what you're pledging when you go in there. The one being baptized pledges their genuine faith in God, that their trust is in the risen Lord Jesus Christ who has and will cause them to pass safely through God's coming judgment. Just as assuredly as Noah made it to dry land in the ark, 
the Christian who is, who is undergoing baptism, the one who has been baptized, says just assuredly, because of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, I will make it to safe land. I will be carried to safety by Christ. There's a pledge of a genuine faith, but there is also a pledge of a sincere attempt to live obediently to God. Remember, we're using words like genuine. We're using words like sincere. Because you don't have to be a Christian very long to understand that just because of your faith, you stop sinning. No. There's a genuine faith, not a perfect faith. There's a sincere attempt but not a flawless attempt. But you are pledging your sincere attempt to live obediently to God. No longer is your mind anxious, Christian, of whether or not God's wrath rests upon you. Your mind is no longer anxious of that. Rather, your heart is filled with gratitude and you seek to glorify God by the conduct of your life. Now that's what the one being baptized pledges, but God makes a pledge as well. God pledges that you are forgiven, that you are washed, and that you will be raised up. There should be no doubt in your mind. God has forgiven your sin. God has washed them away. God will raise you up on the last day to everlasting life by virtue of his son's death and resurrection. So church, Christian, do not neglect the value of a clear conscience before God. Oh, it's so precious, so vital. The Christian life is filled with hills and valleys. Someday every blessing is joyously counted, while other days every one of your spiritual failures is brought to the forefront of your mind. Some days you are up in the heavens with God, and other days you are heavy with your own sinfulness. You contend with remaining sin. You contend with unrelenting temptation. You contend with spiritual oppression. You contend with emotional distress. And you still contend with good old-fashioned unbelief. All of which will have only the, this effect. That you question God's saving grace in your own life. Some scholars have said that the context of this passage in 1 Peter is a baptismal service. That there was evidently a man who was being baptized and some people in the church were kind of suspicious. But Peter tells us, have a clear conscience before God. We are not to neglect that value. Remember your baptism when the devil sneaks in and seeks to rob you of that clear conscience. When he tempts you to sin 
And then when you give in, he goes and he accuses you before God. Remember your baptism and the clear conscience that you have with God when the flesh robs you of it. When you desire ease, when you desire pleasure at the expense of holiness. Remember your baptism, and especially you young adults, you young Christian adults who have been baptized. Remember your baptism when the world seeks to rob you of a clear conscience before God by insisting that you follow their opinions and that you buy in to their practices when they insist that you replace the unchangeable word of God and exchange it for the ever-changing opinion of man. Remember your baptism. Remember that clear conscience that you have before God in it. Remember it when you give in to all three of those brutes and your conscience is ruined and it's wrecked. And you wonder if you're saved at all. Remember your baptism. Remember what it signifies. Remember what it points to. And remember what it pledged. There is grace for you. In remembering. When you remember. That you have passed through the waters of God's judgment. But above all. Look to Christ Jesus. Now finally, and briefly, remember with faith that you were baptized into Christ's church. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Remember with faith that you have been baptized into Christ's church. Now, admittedly, what we've been talking about is water baptism. Primarily the first two where we're talking about water baptism. But the Bible speaks of many different kinds of baptisms. And this is one of them. There is a spiritual baptism. Christ by his spirit has joined you to his church. When he says you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, what he is talking about is your conversion. When the spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit came and immersed you in him. And it brought with it the effectual call where of all those times you heard the gospel preached and proclaimed, finally it clicked. Not because you got three IQ points higher, not because you got a little bit wiser, but because of a supernatural event when the Holy Spirit came upon you and convinced you in your heart of the gospel. Now, John the Baptist makes a clear distinction between two types of baptisms, actually three. But the two that I want us to keep in mind is from Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.8, 1 
Luke 3.16, and John 1.29.34, all four of the Gospels make this distinction. All four of the Gospels record this statement in the mouth of John the Baptist. And that is, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and he will baptize you by the power of the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there is a distinction which is made between water baptism and the baptism of the Spirit. It's a distinction and it is something that Christians have long looked for from the Messiah. And it's something that Christians have all, all genuine Christians, have experienced at their conversions. It is the work of God alone to save individuals. Amen? But he doesn't leave them alone. He joins them to his body. He ordinarily joins them to his church. And he does not leave them as individuals. When you go into the waters and you come out, you will be members of Cornerstone Fellowship Church. Asterisk junior members. One day we'll fix that. You will be members of Christ's church. You will be my sister in the faith. I will be your brother. Finally, you have a cool brother. Isn't that great news? And when we talk about this family, no matter what our family situations are, we know what they should be. And now we express that church to joy and jubilee. We are their sibling, spiritual sibling. Not all of us will be as close personally. There will be some things that are just, I, I don't need to know about as, a, as, a, as her brother in the faith. Certain girl things, and there's certain boy things that they don't need to know about that come from me. It's, it's inappropriate. But, a, but there's to be a closeness there. There is not to be a walling up. There is not to be a hiding away. There is not to be a guardedness. There is not to be they'll never understand the sin that I'm going through. No, they do understand that sin that you're going through because they are afflicted. We are afflicted with it as well. Whatever your family situation is, whatever the, the relationship is between your brothers and sisters in the home, you know what they should be. You know what the ideal is. And I just pray, by God's grace, that it will be realized here in this church for you. We are now family. We care for one another. Baptism is a sign of the immersing of the Holy Spirit. It points to the great reality that you have been regenerated. You have been converted. You have been adopted. So, briefly in conclusion, is because of God's word that we do what we do as a local church.
because of God's word that we're going to do this the way that we're going to do this. It's not because this is the tradition that we've been handed. It's because of the truth which God has revealed to us in his word. It's why, as a church, we ask that people who want to join Cornerstone have a credible testimony of conversion. Have you been really baptized in the Holy Spirit? It's why, as a church, we insist and agree to receive new members on the basis of their union with Christ through faith and their willful obedience to follow Christ in baptism. Have you been immersed by the Holy Spirit? And have you followed his command to be immersed in water? So church, church of the living God, remember with faith your baptism. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very much for your holy word. We thank you for the words, the word of God and your sacraments. We thank you for the ordinance of baptism. We ask, Lord, that you would impress upon us by the power of your spirit and by the, by the clear teaching of your word that baptism does something when combined with faith. We pray, Father, that we would indeed remember our baptisms, that we would be encouraged to die to self and to walk in newness of life. We pray, Father, that we would remember, remember our baptisms, that we have a clear conscience before you because we have passed through safely through waters of judgment because of Christ Jesus, the risen Lord. And we ask, Lord God, that we would remember our baptism, that you have saved us, that you have regenerated us, and you have joined us to your body. We thank you so very much for all of the privileges and blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And we love him so very much, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.